Amen, amen. Well, you can be seated. Welcome to Vertical. Let's go, y'all. This is an amazing night God gave us to gather and lift up the name of Jesus. Well, can we just give it up for the, the band and Miles and Brooke and Jacob and the leaders that serve in this ministry? He is doing a great work. I have the privilege, like you heard Miles say earlier, to uh, come from, I better, I better stay back here, to come from Watermark Community Church with the Poor Chung Adult Ministry. And man, God is doing a work there as well, but it is a privilege and an honor to be here. And so let me start out by just introducing my family to you. They're going to be up on the back of the screen. This is my uh, beautiful wife, Kathy Gaucher Jones. She's a raging Cajun from New Orleans. And so I married a little French girl. She, listen, listen to this. Her middle name was Elizabeth, but she changed her name to her last, her maiden name, which was Gaucher, because she wanted to keep her roots. That's, that's intense, y'all. So she's Kathy Gaucher instead of Elizabeth Jones. And then we have three kids. We have our oldest, this is Camille, and then she's six, and then Isabella, she's four, and Caleb, he's about a year and a half. So that's my crew. That's my fan back there. But hey, listen to me. Don't let that fool you. That's the Instagram pic, right? That, that's what we post for the world to see and, and for the likes to come in and for the comments to come in. Put that back up on the screen for a second. And, and, and here, here's what I know. You look, at that, you look at that pic and you're like, oh yeah, just another one of them pastor guys and life always worked out the way he wanted and his, he probably grew up in the church and never did anything wrong and you know, so and so, whatever you think when you think that pic. But, but let me tell you about God's grace in my life. I haven't always been a Christian. I wasn't even raised in the church and it's only by God's grace that I'm standing before you today. See, the last, one of the last times I was at Baylor University here in Waco was about 20 years ago when I was a freshman in college. I was playing baseball uh, at another college and my girlfriend at the time was going to school here and she was a freshman. And, uh, you know, I would, I would claim to be a believer, but it was nothing more than one of those cultural believers. You know, you wear the cross around your neck, you got the cross tattoo, and you might even have the Bible verse in your bio on, on, on social media. But, but here, here's, here's the problem with that. My life looked no different than the rest of the world. And I remember coming in to visit my girlfriend at the time, and uh, it was one of those sorority parties, and she was a tri-delt. I don't know if we got any tri-delts in the house tonight, but she was a tri-delt, and so I came to a party. And um, I remember uh, specifically, you know, just kind of plotting in my heart what I was going to do that weekend. And and she was living in Collins, the freshman girls' dorm. I think that's under renovation, I think is what I heard. But she was living in Collins. Many of you probably know that. And in our hearts, we had planned for me to sneak into her room that night, just climb through the window. Her roommate was out of town. And that night led to some really poor decisions where we ended up having sex. And so if you think anything other than, you know, that as my story, when you look at the picture on the screen, listen, listen to me, far from it. God took a mess of my life. After that freshman year, my life started to spiral out of control and the sin started ruling my life. And then everything came to a screeching halt my junior year in college. And it wasn't one of those, you know, testimonies where, you know, I hit rock bottom. It was one of those testimonies where I had everything at my fingertips I was experiencing everything underneath the sun, the party, the drugs, the alcohol, the girl. And, you know, 
you know, the materialism, it, it was like everything was starting to fall into place. That year I got national hitter on the week and my baseball team and, you know, I was thinking to myself, could it get any better? But I remember coming home from a three-game series and I was going back to my apartment that night and my roommates were getting ready to go out to the party and I just said, guys, I'm taking this one off. And I was battling a lot of anxiety and depression that year. And I'm like, man, if, if, if I have all this, why am I not experiencing the satisfaction and the fulfillment and the highs that the world talks about? And I remember going into my bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror like it's yesterday. And I remember bending over and I just allowed myself to just look at who I had become. And I just asked myself, man, how have I allowed my life to get here? And that night I cried out to God. I had a Bible next to my bed, just kind of as good luck. I would read it when I feel guilty or, you know, when I wanted God to show up in my life. And you know, I remember wearing that cross necklace, like I said, and I remember having a view of God, but the view of God was not the right view that the scriptures would say. See, for so long, I would compare my life to everyone else, even people in the church. And when you do that, you can always find someone worse than you, which gives you security in the fact that you're not that bad. That night, I began to compare my life to Christ and what this word of God says. And God took me to a passage in 1 John chapter 3, and it just says this. I remember opening up that night, just saying, God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself to me? And he began to show me who he really was in 1 John 3. And it says, when you live in continuous sin, it shows that you belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. And those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God is in them. And I remember examining my life and rolling back the tape that night, and that was me. Living in continual sin and never really experiencing any broken patterns of sin. And just making excuses and saying, well, at least I'm not like that person in the church. And it just gave me a lot of security in the fact that I wasn't that bad. But that night, my mouth was stopped of all justification. And I remember seeing my sin for what it was in light of a holy God, knowing that my sin separated me from this God. But yet the good news of the gospel, and this is what flooded into my heart in that apartment my junior year, the good news of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could attain the righteousness of Christ, not by our work, but by his work on the cross. And all of our sin was poured out on him. The Bible says they soaked up every last ounce of God's wrath, the wrath that should be poured out on you and me. And I remember resonating with that message and saying, man, that, that sounds so different than every other religion. That God came down to earth in the person of Christ and he lived the life that I could never live and he died the death that I could never die. And the great exchange happened. He got what I deserve and I got what he deserved. And that night I cried out to God, if you can take all my brokenness, my porn addiction of 10 years and the way that I had mistreated women and so many other things that marked my life. If you can take that and your forgiveness is enough, which I believe it is because of what Christ has done, not just through his cross, but through his resurrection, that when he defeated the grave, he defeated sin and death. And I just said, if you can take me all that I am, then I'll follow you. 
And I remember in that moment, God calling me from that sin and that, that, that lifestyle that was ruling my life. And I remember that God never just would call me from something without calling me to something. And what I want to talk about tonight is what I believe he's calling every believer to. And it's this idea that when God called me to him, he also called me to his people. That he would call me to change my playground and my playmates. And I would find other men that wanted to run hard after Jesus. And that I would link arms with. And we would step into what the Bible calls community. Living with like-minded people who are running after him. And so tonight, I want to talk to us about what it looks like to live in biblical community. One of the most important truths and principles from God's word that relates to your college years and how to thrive in them is this. You ready? Live authentically in relationships with people who are committed to Christ. If you're taking notes, write that down. Live authentically in relationships with people who are committed to Christ. I mean, choosing to live apart from authentic relationships with people who are committed to Christ, candidly, is the reason why many Christians go out with a bang or they start out really, really good and they're like, man, I'm on fire for Jesus, I'm all in, and listen, I'm gonna maybe even sell everything and become a missionary, and then you look up and slowly but surely they drift away from that to a point where maybe they don't even believe in God anymore. It's why people who claim to be a Christian, pledge their entire life away with another person who claims to be a Christian. And they stand up at the altar and they say, to death do us part. Later, to find out years later, that they're signing papers and saying, I never want to do, I never want to have anything to do with you. And they end in divorce. It's why candidly, some of you tonight are experiencing isolation. You feel alone and there's anxiety that's washing over you even as I speak tonight. And you feel alone and you wonder if anyone cares. And so tonight this topic is what has changed my life and has ca caused me to continue in the midst of circumstances, good or bad in the midst of times when I've wanted to walk away from believing in the one thing that saved me my junior year in college. It's, it's at times where I've wanted to choose my sin over choosing God. It's this provision that he's given you and I, and it's called community. It's where a group of men come alongside, if you're a man, and they remind you of what is true. When the heart is so quickly prone to wander, or if you're a lady, you have a group of women that come alongside of you and remind you of what is true when the heart is prone to wander from the God you love. Or there's blind spots in your life and my life that I can't see. So tonight we're talking about biblical community. Living authentically in relationships with people who are committed to Christ. The Bible would say if we deviate from this path, that it won't end well for us. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but that way ends in death. And one of God's greatest provisions and blessings for my life is to surround me with men who love him and call me back when my heart is prone to wander. Let me pray, and then we're gonna dive in. God in heaven, 
would you allow your voice to be maximized in this moment? And would you allow my voice to be minimized? That when we open up your word to Genesis chapter two, that you would speak through this simple but profound verse. And as we go throughout the scripture tonight and we look at what it looks like to live in relationship with one another and in community, that you would go before us and that you would give us a vision for what this is supposed to look like now in the days, months, and years to come. And that my friends who are walking with you would continue the race that they started. And my friends who aren't walking with you would get a glimpse of how great you are through the gospel that I just shared. And they would bend their knee to you and surrender and then jump into what we're gonna talk about tonight, biblical community. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, you can open it to Genesis chapter two. We're gonna be in verse 18 tonight. And this is familiar for a lot of you, so you're gonna have to fight to go on autopilot, right? You're gonna have to fight to check out. So here we go. The the Lord God said, it is not good for man, come on, come on, what does it say? To be alone. Alone. From the very first book of the Bible, we see this incredible truth that we were created for relationships. We were created for relationships. You see this rhythm in Genesis 1 where God is creating and he says it's good and he creates and he says it's good and he does this six times over the course of six days. And on the seventh day, he rests. And there's this incredible place of perfection. There's this paradise. God had just finished creating everything and it's just Adam and a bunch of animals. And you would think that there'd just be this harmonious, perfect place, which there was, but God says, he opens his mouth and he says, even in the midst of that, there's something that 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 broke the creation story. There's an interruption that came in. And what was the interruption? God looked at man in that moment, Adam, and said, it is not good for you to be alone. It is not good for you to be alone. Being alone was was the first thing in all of creation that God says was not good. And I find this to be fascinating because nothing has fallen yet. Perfection is still intact. But God said it's not good for Adam to be alone. And he's saying tonight it's not good for you and I to be alone. And so there's this amazing truth we got to latch on to tonight. Because I work with young adults and college students and I talk to them week in and week out and it goes something like this. Josiah, I'm good. Like Jesus and I, we're, we're, we're tight. Like we're, we're, we're good but I just don't like his church. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think I need his church. And, and so it's kind of like this. Imagine if you came up to me and said, hey, Josiah, man, I, I like you. I, I just don't like your bride. Like, we're, those are like fighting words, right? Like, imagine if someone comes up to you and said, hey, I, I like you, I just don't like your girlfriend. Because this is what God does. He, he says his church is the bride of Christ. And so although that might sound good, like Jesus and I are straight, like we're good, I just don't like his church. That's just not accurate. It's just, it's inconsistent with his character. It's inconsistent with what he's calling you to. And even in this moment, this is an amazing gathering every single Monday night where you and I have the chance to lift up the name of Jesus. But even in this moment, this isn't his church per se. There's a lot of people that are represented here that come from all different churches and walks and backgrounds, but he's calling you and I to get connected with his body, his people, his hands, feet, eyes, and ears. 
And so this is amazing for us to latch on tonight, that even if it was just you and God alone in perfection, he would call, that's not good. He would say, that's not good. Humans were created to live in relationship with, it, with one another. Take, take it like this for a second. Solitary confinement. Soli solitary confinement is one of the worst punishments, if not the worst punishment that can happen to a person in prison, to be locked up in a place where you have zero interaction with the people around you. It's where you cut them off from the rest of the world. Psychologically, it destroys them. One person said this, keeping prisoners totally isolated from the living world comes dangerously close to the, to, the, to the penal tomb. In other words, it's a slow death for people. And listen, like you're not in a prison of solitary confinement tonight, but you might be in a prison of loneliness. You might be in a prison of depression, anxiety. You might be in a prison of sin, that you're trying to claw and scratch your way out of it. And so tonight we have to understand that the, the, the way that you and I were created is for relationships. Look at what God's word says in Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If, if I decide to say, hey, I'm going to stiff arm the church and try to do this God thing on my own without other trusted men that are following him. It says that I'm going to lack discernment and I'm going to lack judgment. It's why you and I tend to make some pretty questionable decisions when we make those decisions in isolation. Look at what Psalm 92, 13 says. Those who are planted in the house of God shall what? Shall what? Flourish. Like this is God's promise to you and I. Those who are planted in his house, those who are planted with other believers who are like-minded, locking arms with each other shall flourish. Let me ask you, is your life flourishing tonight? Are, are you seeing the fruit of what God calls a Christian to? You know why COVID was so hard? Like COVID, I think back of that season, I'm like, man, I'm so glad we're kind of out of it. COVID was hard because we weren't meant to quarantine. Like we weren't meant to be isolated from people. Like we were meant to be with people. And so God is saying tonight that you and I weren't meant to quarantine from his people. And, and some of you might say, well, just I got people, bro. But let me ask you, are they the right people? Are they the people that are helping you pursue heaven? Are the people that are helping you become God's man or God's woman? So when I say, hey, stop quarantining from God's people, you also, you also should say, start quarantining from the wrong people. Because listen, listen to me, don't, don't miss this. You catch the symptoms of those you run with. You understand? Like what's true physically is also true spiritually. Like we did this with COVID. Like we did this through, with the coronavirus. Like you and I, we catch the symptoms of the COVID. <laughs> and so the same that is true physically is also true spiritually. And so God is just saying, hey, do an inventory tonight. Who are the closest people in your life? And, and, and what is coming out as a result of you spending your time with them? The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Listen, this isn't saying that you alienate yourself from unbelievers. But it is saying that your closest boys or your closest girls would be people that are 
getting after it, that are running hard after Jesus. And so if you're yoking yourself with unbelievers when it comes to who knows the true you, then God would say that's not good. If you're yoking yourself as a person who is a child of the light with a child of the darkness, that is not good, the Bible would say. Because those two things don't go hand in hand. And so spiritual truth number one, if you're taking notes, we were created for relationships. Spiritual truth number two, if you're taking notes, we were created to be fully known. We were created to be fully known. Most people who, do, who fight anxiety or depression or shame, like I did for so long, and sin, do this on their own when we were never meant to do this on our own. We, we were never meant to live in a way where we weren't being fully transparent and authentic with other people. God is calling you to be fully known. Social scientists says that this generation, because of the smartphone right here, is the most connected generation ever before. It's also, we're also connected because of social media. But social scientists in the same breath say that we're the most depressed, full of anxiety generation than ever before. And so what does it look like for you to be fully known? Because if you and I aren't fully known, they know the true you, what you're struggling with, what you're going through, what's really beneath the surface, then God would say, that's not good. God would say, that's not good. It's this idea that you'll never be fully loved until you're fully known because someone is just loving, oh, here we go, some false version of you. I can't see you, but hopefully you can see me, okay? And God would say, hey, that's not good for you and I to be in that type of setting where nobody really knows what's below the surface. Let, let me explain it like this. Um, for so long, I um, would walk around and wear a mask. It's, it's kind of like this mask, right? This mask is what we wore during COVID. And... Uh, Man, these things, let's just be honest, like they're hard to deal with, right? Like they're just, they're itchy, they're uncomfortable, and you just can't breathe, right? I, I don't know for you, that was, that was my experience. And so uh, for so long, I would uh, put this thing on wherever I went because that's just, you know, what we did. And I got to thinking that this mask, like, although it was so new, for a lot of us, it's, it's not really that new. Because you and I, like, we've been wearing a mask for a long time. Like, it's, a, it's not a physical mask like this one, but it's, it's an invisible mask. See, a mask represents hiding. A, a, a mask represents that thing that you do that nobody knows that you're doing. Uh, see, I got really good at wearing a mask. I remember the first time that I, ex I, that I experienced pornography. It was when my parents divorced and my dad got remarried and I did the whole blended family thing and my oldest stepbrother was going off to college and I went into the garage and found a stash of just magazines. And I, I started flipping through that magazine and I took it up to my room and put it underneath my mattress only to realize that the freedom that I wanted in that moment led to bondage for a decade of my life. And every time I would look at that thing that two-dimensional image, um, I, I, I would put on the mask. Even though I knew that thing was no good for me and it was going to lead to greater levels of bondage. But I got really good at wearing the mask. 
You see, I wore the mask every time I would, you know, step out into the baseball field. I wanted people to see that I was a pretty good guy. So I put the cross necklace around my neck because I wanted to see every, I wanted people to see me, the exterior as a, as a good guy, a Christian in name only. But, you know, behind closed doors, I was the life of the party. And, but, but that, that cross allowed me to wear a mask where not everybody knew the real me. L- let me ask you, what, what mask are you tempted to put on and wear? What is the mask that you are tempted to run back to after you do that thing? You know who I'm not wearing a mask around? It's these four other men that I meet with every Friday morning at 6 a.m. And no matter where I've been in thought and word and action, they know the deepest thoughts that I have. They know the actions that I took that, that week that are inconsistent with the character of Christ. They know how I've talked to people and what's come out of my mouth. And so this is a group of men that I've built trust with and, and they know me and I know them. And a few months back, I was preparing for a message at the porch, kind of like this one. And I was about to speak the very next day, and I remember getting into a little bit of an argument with my wife, Kathy, and I still had a lot of writing to do for the message, and I just said, hey, babe, let's, let's, uh, let's call a time out, and, you know, I'm not angry, you're not angry, the Bible says don't let the sun go down in your anger, but it doesn't say the sun can't go down in your conflict, so I just said, hey, we're not going to really accomplish much tonight, so let's pick this up tomorrow, and so she went off to bed, and I went back to writing and I began to write on my computer, type on my computer. And in that moment, the enemy tempted me to look at pornography. And in that moment, I had a choice to make on a thought level. Would I give into it and would I allow myself to go there? Or would I pick up the phone and text those four other men, even on a thought level, Hey guys, I'm being tempted to look at porn. I just need you to know you're probably sleeping already. I'm writing a message that I'm going to teach tomorrow night and the enemy wants nothing more than to get me to fall before I teach that message. So I just need to get this out in the open. I need to let you know the real me. And so I did. I sent text. I sent the text. And you know what it did in that moment? The temptation the, the power of even that temptation, the power of even that thought began to weaken. Because here's what I know, even on a thought level, that the power of your sin or the power of your thoughts is greater when you live in secrecy than when you bring those thoughts and those actions to the light. The power of sin is always in secrecy. The power of your thoughts is always in secrecy because if someone doesn't really know the true you, what you're thinking, what you're going through, what you're feeling, then that's the enemy's playground to get you to fall to the thing that he knows will create bondage maybe for years and a lifetime. And so I texted them that night and by God's grace, they texted me back the next morning. They just said, hey, bro, did you win the battle and did you reconcile with your wife? And by God's grace, I was able to win the battle and reconcile with Kathy. But don't get it twisted, man. Like I wanted to put on the mask. Like I didn't want those guys to know that as a pastor, as a guy that communicates God's word and been in ministry for 15 years, like I should be above that. Like I should be beyond that. That's the lie of the enemy. And, but, but here's what I did. I did not want them to see the weakness. 
I didn't want to see that I was struggling with that. I wanted to put on the mask. I was tempted to put on the mask, but by the grace of God, I removed the mask and I trusted that I wouldn't get infected with rejection or shame even in sharing my thoughts. And so tonight you have an opportunity to believe that you were created for relationships and to believe that you were created to be fully known. Because here's what I know, you'll never be fully loved until you're fully known. Because if you're never fully known, then people are just loving some false version of yourself. And you know what I got to do in that moment? I got to show those guys who the real me was. So they began to love the real me and I experienced a full love. That's what we all desire, don't we? That's what we all crave. That somebody would truly love the real you, no matter where you've been. But they wouldn't just stop there. They would call you back to God. They would call you back to your creator, and they would call you back to his truth. God's calling you to be fully known tonight. It's time to take off the masks. And you're like, God, Josiah, how do I do that? God is... I know God is calling me to share this thing that I thought I would take to the grave and wouldn't share that with anybody. How would you do that? You've got to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to remind yourself of who you are in Christ, that you have been bought with a price, his blood on the cross, and that he rose again to defeat the thing that wants to come in and disrupt and, you know, kill your life, if I had to be honest. And you also have to remember that when you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And even if those men responded poorly, I would say, hey, I'm not living for the approval of you. I'm living for the approval of God. And if I was living for the approval of you, then I would never be a servant of Christ. And I know who Christ called me to be, and I know what his promises are for me, that there is therefore now no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. There's no guilt. And so how are you able to do this? Only by his strength, not by your strength. Only by his might, not by your might. Only by his grace, not by your grace. Not by your mustering up this, you know, activity, thinking that you have what it takes. No, it's only through him. Psalm 32, 3 says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. When you stay silent and you choose to suppress your sin instead of to address your sin, you get sick, man. Not just spiritually, but physically. Maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying this broad brush statement, maybe some of the anxiety, I know it was for me, some of the depression, I know it was for me, is a result of you staying silent about the things that maybe you've committed and the things that have been committed against you. Tonight's the night where we begin to address those things instead of suppress them. Tonight's the night of healing. The secret to life is to live a life without secrets. You hear me? Where do I get this from? James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so what does this look like? This doesn't mean that you go and 
If you're a girl, you find 10 girls and you got to go share everything with them. Or if you're a guy, you got to go find a big group of men and go share everything with them. No, it just said, hey, do you know a trusted friend, a believer? And you just start somewhere. You're just like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I got, I got something to share. And, you know, I've never really shared it before. You know, it's something that's beginning to come in and disrupt my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with others. And so I just need you to know this. I can't share all the details, but I just need to start somewhere tonight. Whether it's, man, I'm, I'm under eating or I'm overeating because life seems to be out of control and this is the one area I can control. Hey, I keep going back to that, that two-dimensional image and it's, it's just leading me to greater bondage and addiction. There I said it. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sending inappropriate pictures. There I said it. Hey, I, I have a, a propensity to, you know, gossip and talk about other people just to elevate myself so other people see me in a good light and they see the other people in a bad light. There I said it. And so that you would just start somewhere and you would begin to confess your sin one to another. And that that person would pray for you so that you would be healed. That's the promise of the verse. Like, what would it look like tonight if there was a group of college students, you specifically, that started this movement where you just said, hey, no more am I living in the darkness. No more am I suppressing my sin. I'm going to address it because I know that revealing leads to healing. What would that look like for you? What would it look like for you to understand that the secret to life is to live a life without secrets? I believe it would lead to your healing. See, I think so many times we walk around and, man, we're forgiven by God. Vertically, our relationship with God, we're forgiven. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But horizontally, nobody knows the real us. Nobody knows the real struggles that we're going through. And so we're still walking around broken. We're not healed. And, and, and we're just kind of a mess. Like we, we experienced uh, uh, freedom maybe years ago or months ago. But, but in order to stay free, God's given you the truth that you would live a life of authenticity before him and his people horizontally. What would it look like tonight for you and I? to step into the promises that God has for you. Mainly the promise of healing, that you wouldn't have to live a life of secrecy any longer. I think the best version of you and I exists on the other side of community. What I mean by that, the most whole healed version of you exists when those areas of your life are completely exposed before trusted brothers and sisters. I think sometimes what gets in the way of this is we think that, especially if you're a guy, you're a man, I, I just know for me that me confessing this or me living a life of this type of authenticity kind of leads to this place of, man, is, is this going to make me sound weak? Is this going to make me sound less than? And so I have these feelings, even, even me, I, I, I have these feelings that I just think that, man, maybe if I, if I share that everything, if I even, even that last 2%, if I share that, it's going to lead others to think that I'm weak. And I would just say the opposite is true. 
Paul, the great apostle Paul, who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, said that being vulnerable and real is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. God told the apostle Paul that his power is perfected in Paul's weakness. So look at what he says. Therefore, I'm going to boast about my weakness all the more gladly so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with sharing weaknesses or insults or hardships or persecution or calamities, whatever's going on in your life. For when I am weak, he is strong. See, the sign of strength is, ask, is actually you boasting about your weaknesses. It's so counterintuitive to who we are and, you know, just this Western Christianity where if you grew up like me, every time I did go to church, I didn't grow up in the church, but if someone invited me to the church, it just felt like a bunch of fakeness was happening all around me. And there wasn't anyone being real about life and how life gets lifey at times. And everyone would always just say, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm just like, what does that even mean, right? And so we see tonight that God is calling you and I to be men and women who are marked by real authenticity. That we would step out in faith and not fear rejection, but we would step out in faith and say, God, by faith, I remove the mask. By faith, I step out and I share the things that are weighing me down and keeping me from being the person that you called me to be. So I can't challenge you enough to take this step tonight, not just because I see this rooted in God's word, but because I've lived this. This is true for me, and I pray that this would continue to be true for me for the rest of my life. I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be a person that doesn't finish well. By God's grace, I want to finish the race, and I think we see the truth in Scripture tonight as a way for us to be able to do that. And so would you... Trust God, no matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what you've done or haven't done or where you were this past weekend or where you were 12 hours ago or whatever the case may be for you, do you have what we've talked about tonight? Do you have relationships that are marked by God? Are you living in authenticity and true vulnerability and transparency within those relationships. Only you know. As I close, I, uh, I remember walking into sixth grade science class. And I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. And I remember going into sixth grade science class, and for me, it was the oversized Tommy Hilfiger shirts and the, the big jeans and the ball chain necklace. I know I just dated myself, so stay with me. But I remember walking into science class, and I remember the, the science teacher gave me a styrofoam cup, and he put some soil in there, and he gave me a, a little seed, like a bean seed. And he said, hey, Josiah, in order for this bean to grow, in order for this seed to grow, it's going to need three things. It's going to need water, it's going to need sun, and it's going to need soil. So stay with me for a second. I know the same is true in our relationship with Christ. In order for you and I to grow and mature and to develop into God's man or God's woman, we're going to need some things as well. There's some ingredients that we see in Scripture that God calls us to. So stay with me for a second. 
Imagine your prayer life is the sun. Imagine the water is the word of God. That's, that's the Bible. And then imagine with me for a second, the, the soil is your community. That, that's, that's the people around you. That's your closest boys or your closest girls. Here's what I know, vertical, that you can have an amazing prayer life. Like the sun can be constant in your life. You can get into God's word. You can have devotionals before you start your day. You can memorize scripture. Like, like the water can be constant in your life, the word of God. But if your soil is toxic, you will not grow. Like if the people around you are not pursuing Christ, if the trajectory is not up and to the right, and I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about people that want to struggle well, people that don't want to make excuses for their sins, but people that want to repent of their sin and keep going. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about a, a dead religion. I'm talking about people that want to get after it and just read this word and say, okay, God, whatever you would say, I trust. I know it's going to be hard at times, but I trust whatever you say, let's go do it. If your soil is toxic, if the people in your life aren't what we talked about tonight, you will not grow. I don't care if you have the amazing prayer life or you get into God's word every day. You won't be all that God's called you to be. I have people come up to me at times and they're just like, dude, I feel like your story is my story. Pornography, the party, drugs, alcohol, the sexual morality, like what? How, how did you do it? I'm like, man, it's not me. God saved me in spite of me for his glory. But when he saved me from that, he also called me, like I said in the beginning of this message, to biblical community. And I got with some men that just didn't want to talk about it, that just didn't want to gather around in a coffee shop, which that's fine, and open up God's word. They just didn't want to talk about it and have good Bible studies, but they really wanted to be about it. I got with some men that really wanted to run hard after Jesus. I got with some men that were going to accept me no matter where I've been in thought, word, and action. We're really going to show me what unconditional love meant. And when I would fall, which was many, they would point me back to God's word. They would point me back to God's spirit. They, they, would, they would come alongside of me and pick me up and say, let's battle together. See, so many of us were going into the battle without a game plan. And so you're surely gonna lose that battle. And so we would come together and we would begin to battle. So what does that look like for you tonight? My prayer is that you would heed the word of God tonight that Every time we open up God's word, it demands a response. And so let me pray that you would begin to walk this out no matter where you find yourself tonight. God in heaven, I pray that you would begin to meet people where they are in their life, whether they're crushing it and getting after it for the kingdom of God or they feel so far away from you and your people. God, that you would begin to lead them to a place where they understand that if they're really gonna begin to walk out this faith that it only comes through surrender. I know there's people tonight that 
truly aren't living for you. They're truly not committed to what we talked about tonight, just even the gospel part. That they might have heard the gospel, but they're nothing more than an intellectual believer and nothing in their life has truly changed. And there's not a lot of conviction when sin begins to rule their life. And so I pray that they would see the gospel in a way that causes them to surrender. And the cry of their heart would be, God, I can't, but you can. And then for others that have surrendered and made that commitment, that they would live in community with other people, not because they can earn favor with you, but because they have your favor, but because they are saved, but because you have showered your grace upon them. And so those that are suppressing sin and thinking that they can manage it, we'll just bring that to the light tonight. And so every head bowed and every eye closed, if it's not already, I just ask that you would do an inventory right now. Right now. And that there's going to be vertical leaders that come forth, maybe on the sides or even down front of the stage. I'll be down here as long as it takes. Love to have conversations with you. Others in a vertical shirt, would you just make yourself available, maybe on the sides or down front here at the stage. And those who need prayer, just need to confess in a safe place, would you do just that? Would you give my friends boldness and courage to do the thing that the enemy doesn't want them to do tonight, to get free? And that's to confess to you and to others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.